Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm John Schlegel, part of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan and head of the Positioning Intelligence team. Today, I'm joined by my Data Assets and Alpha colleague, Andrew Tyler, who heads up our U.S. Market Intelligence team as we discuss the macro and positioning backdrop for markets. So, Andrew, let's get right into it. Given the CPI print and recent macro data are top of mind for many investors, how does this change the market's view on the Fed this week? And are you aligned with markets? CPI was hotter than expected, or rather the the decline was less than expected, with headline inflation falling from 8.5% to 8.3% on a year-over-year basis. And while headline inflation fell, core inflation moved higher, primarily driven by increases in housing and auto prices. Additionally, the declines in energy prices were partially offset by increases in food prices. Bond markets reacted by repricing yields higher, as well as changing expectations for the Fed's tightening cycle. Coming into the CPI print, the market had a consensus that the September Fed meeting would deliver a 75 basis point hike. November would be either 25 basis points or 50 basis points, and December would be 25 basis points, concluding the tightening cycle, or perhaps adding one more hike in the first quarter of next year. After the CPI print, however, markets priced in a 25% chance that the Fed would hike by 100 basis points this week, would then hike by 75 basis points in November, 50 basis points in December, and add another 25 basis point hike in the first quarter of next year. The J.P. Morgan House view from U.S. Chief Economist Mike Faroli is that we will see 75 basis points this week, 50 basis points in November, 25 basis points in December and January of next year. My view is largely aligned with Mike Faroli as the Fed wants to get rates into restrictive territory, which is generally thought to be a Fed funds rate above 2.5%. After September, the Fed's actions will largely depend on how quickly inflation can dissipate. Fixed income markets are priced in headline CPI falling to about 3% by summer of next year. If that were to come to fruition, then, similar to Mike Faroli, we are more dovish than the rates markets are. So, John, the bond market moves were very strong, as were those within the equity space, with the S&P having its worst day since June of 2020. What was the setup going into the CPI print from your perspective? Where are the various types of investors that you track, and what would be the bull bear case for whether positioning could revert lower or higher from here? Thanks, Andrew. As we see it, positioning into the CPI print was pretty low, but flows had turned a bit more positive just prior to the print. Some of this came in the form of hedges or shorts coming off, while there was also a bit of long buying. That said, most positioning metrics are quite low, generally between the 5th to 10th percentile relative to the past five to eight years of data. This is pretty consistent across various investor types we look at, be it equity long short net leverage, CFTC data around asset managers, retail flows, and bull bear ratios, etc. This does raise the question of why the market sold off so much on the CPI print. To me, what it reflects is that, for one, positioning wasn't at the absolute lows we saw in mid-June, nor were flows extremely negative like they were when shorting reached a three-sigma level in mid-June. So the point is that with this market being pretty fragile, it's not just the level of positioning, but also the recent flows, which can skew the risk-reward for market reactions around macro data. In terms of the bull-bear case for positioning, on the bull side, the lows hit in mid-June were in line with the lows of March 2020, 4Q18, and 1Q16. So there isn't a lot of recent precedent for investors getting much more bearish than we had seen them already. 
However, the bear case is that, unlike coming out of those other periods, we weren't facing a Fed that was expected to keep hiking rates like we are today. So if the view is that the current bear market could persist longer, then we think we could see positioning fall further among various investors like equity long-short funds, CTAs, while retail and ETF flows could also turn more negative. Further to this point, our signal from the noise metric is firmly out of bullish territory, and our tactical positioning monitor is not flagging an extreme move lower in positioning recently. We've discussed both of these in more detail in prior podcasts. The main point is that even though positioning is light, we'd either need to see macro data improve, volatility and risks fall, or a larger bout of selling in order for these signals to shift to a more bullish stance. Andrew, getting back to the macro environment, once we get past the Fed, what are the macro data points to watch, and how are you thinking about the market setup into earnings season? For the balance of September, you really have the PMI data, and then October brings about another non-farm payrolls print, as well as ISM data, and then the CPI on October 13th. And it's really the CPI print that will be the most impactful, as that will have the most weighting and altering Fed expectations. Regarding the other data, we may continue to see the U.S. economy stabilize as we move from the first half, which was a technical recession. Further, we may see data continue to surprise to the upside. Now, the question is whether that's a good thing for stocks. Not necessarily. We may be entering a market phase where, quote-unquote, good news is bad news, since any acceleration in economic growth brings fear of more inflation and or the possibility that the Fed can be more aggressive while the economy remains resilient. So, John, given that these data points all occur before we kick off Q3 earnings in mid-October, and as we kind of head into that earnings season, is there anything to watch from a positioning lens and anything notable from a seasonal perspective? Thanks, Drew. From a seasonal perspective, the last three months of the year are typically good for equities, and it's normal for positioning to rise into year-end as well. By contrast, September is often fairly weak. But given the market's already down a lot and positioning is low, it's reasonable to wonder whether these things alter the view at all. From looking at historical data on seasonality in years when the market was already down a lot over the first eight to nine months of the year, it suggests that while we could get a rally in 4Q, there are a few important considerations. First, the odds of it are much lower than in an up year. Second, it often happens post a September sell-off. And third, year-end S&P levels are usually not that dissimilar from where they stood at the end of August. Put simply, even though positioning is pretty light already, our thought would be to watch for any material increases or decreases in risks, as we seem more likely than not to remain range-bound, with extremes being something to potentially fade. So Andrew, speaking of extremes, Commodities have seen a pretty wild ride, and the Russia-Ukraine conflict has been a key driver of this. What are some things that investors should consider moving forward? Absolutely. We have seen some very volatile moves within the commodity complex, and commodities have been one of the best-performing asset classes year-to-date. And as this conflict has moved from front-page news to what appears to be more of a military stalemate, we have seen commodity prices fall. Though that might be more reflective of the what's going on in sentiment rather than it is supply-demand dynamics. That said, an exogenous shock pushing oil prices materially above $100 per barrel represents a downside risk to the markets. So investors should keep an eye on commentary surrounding oil price caps since the direct response from Russia may be to cut oil supply. Our head of commodities research, uh, Natasha Canova, published a note this summer looking at scenario analysis around a Russian supply cut. She highlights two scenarios. The first is a 3 million barrel per day cut, which could drive Brent crude prices to about $190 per barrel. And the second scenario, a 5 million barrel per day cut could push Brent prices above $375 per barrel. In either scenario, this would be economically negative and a negative for stocks at the index level, though a potential boon to energy stocks. 
So, John, when looking at energy and other commodity-related sectors, what does current positioning look like, and how has that evolved throughout the year? Also, have you seen any differences across regions? So, energy equities are interesting, as there was a pretty strong push into energy earlier this year. ETF flows were quite positive, and the overweight towards energy rose to 12-year highs among sector ETFs. Hedge fund flows also turned positive while retail investors were buying as the stocks rallied. However, since energy's relative peak in June, the story has been quite different. Retail is still keeping the faith among single stocks, but ETF flows and hedge fund flows have both turned quite negative relative to other sectors. We're also not seeing hedge funds willing to chase energy stocks in Europe. Thus, it seems the concerns around a growth slowdown with corresponding demand destruction are keeping investors from getting more bullish. In Asia, however, positioning is still relatively high towards energy. And if I round it out on other commodity sectors, materials is quite different as performance did a 180 this year and flows generally did as well. So Andrew, with all the uncertainty surrounding the macro environment, coupled with weak expectations into earnings and recent stock price action, are you bullish or bearish? Are there any sectors that stand out to you? Sure. My view can best be summarized as cautiously bullish. And what I mean by that is that my longer-term view formed before Labor Day was that September could be a seasonally weak month followed by a seasonally stronger fourth quarter. Equity markets have been driven by rates and rates volatility for much of the year. Rates have all spiked into Fed events and CPI prints. And so with Jackson Hole, September CPI, and the September Fed, I felt that rates vol could move higher. And when rates vol moves higher, it tends to push yields higher and credit spreads wider, both of which tend to be negative for equities. So my thinking here is that we may see rates fall once we get past the Fed this week and that stocks would react positively to that event, but then receive potentially ancillary support from a stronger-than-expected earnings season. Further, if we see inflation dissipate at the pace currently priced into fixed income markets, then headline CPI falls below 6% by year-end and 3% next summer. At that pace of disinflation, it seems unlikely that the Fed is either more hawkish or extends its tightening cycle beyond current expectations. And under that scenario, I think you would see both tech and cyclicals react favorably. China also represents a bullish opportunity as they reopen their economy. We could also see material underperformance from defensive sectors such as consumer staples, real estate, and utilities. Despite my cautious bullishness, it's worth noting our team toolkits right now are squarely neutral as we await further news. And as you mentioned earlier, for our signal from the noise framework to improve, we'd either need to see better fundamentals in the U.S., including ISM manufacturing and earnings revision data, or an even more favorable positioning setup as articulated earlier. Now, John, with your client conversations, where are you seeing the most and or least demand at the sector level? At a sector and factor level, there's still much more of a bias towards value than growth versus what we had seen in the past five years. And in the past two months, there's generally been a bias towards buying defenses and selling cyclicals. However, there is some nuance to mention as pockets of growth like expensive software and biotech have been bought over the past few weeks as positioning is quite low. I think this is an area clients would like to shift back to, but it's hard to have much confidence given what's transpired over the past year in the space. In addition, financials, and specifically banks, seem to be seeing some more positive flows post the selling and underperformance over the prior six months. So to wrap it up, Andrew, it's been great chatting with you today. If I summarize our key points, it seems that inflation remains the key driver of markets as it impacts the Fed's actions and thus the stock market through higher rates fall. I think we both agree there could be upside in Q4 given potential for earnings to beat expectations, positioning being low already, and volatility potentially coming down. However, this seems more likely if September ends up being weak and if inflation falls. 
As for sectors, you see upside in tech and cyclicals under the scenario, while China reopening could be bullish too. And on my front, this seems to be manifesting itself in a bit of recent buying of growth and financials. So thank you again, Andrew, for sharing your views today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this regular podcast from our group. It's worth flagging that for many of the toolkits we have highlighted today, including Signal from the Noise and the Tactical Positioning Monitor, these are made available to our clients via data sets or daily graphical emails summarizing the conclusions. So if you'd like to explore our team content further or indeed get in touch, please take a look at our website, jpmorgan.com forward slash market data intelligence. There, you can always send us a message via the Contact Us form. And with that, we will close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, JP Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.